Okay. Are you ready for Hebrews chapter 9? So, we'll see how far we get. I don't know if we can get to Hebrews chapter 10 also today. But, you know, we can also just go on on a later stage. Okay, so, Hebrews chapter 9, let's just start reading. Okay, before we start reading, say this is God's Word. It's inspired by the Holy Spirit. That same Holy Spirit will rest upon me. And I will have ears to hear and eyes to see. In Jesus' name. Okay. What time is it? I never check what time I start. Okay. All right. We'll have enough time. All right. Now, even the first covenant had its own rules and regulations for divine worship. And it had a sanctuary but one of this world. Okay. So it's speaking of the tabernacle, the sanctuary, um, but it was a physical one made with human hands. It was one of this world. For a tabernacle, a tent was erected in the outer portion or the outer division compartment of which were the lampstand and the table with its loaves of the showbread set forth. This portion is called the holy place okay so let's just start drawing some pictures okay so there was a tabernacle and in the tabernacle there was another one and there was a lampstand okay and there was the, the table of showbread. I'm just going to put like a table. And they had to like six on, on one side and six on the other side. Just bread. Okay, that's baked in a certain way. Okay, so that was, this was on the north side. That was on the south side. All right, so let's keep on reading. It says, but inside, Beyond the second curtain or the veil, there stood another tabernacle or the division known as the Holy of Holies. It had the golden altar of incense and the ark, the chest of the covenant, covered with wrought gold. This ark contained a golden jar which held the manna and the rod of Aaron that sprouted and the two stone slabs of the covenant bearing the Ten Commandments. Okay, so let's just get this. So there was the golden altar of incense. Let's just, I'm not an artist, okay? So let's just, just put it in there somewhere. Golden altar of incense. And then there was the Ark of the Covenant. And there was the wings of glory. That's the head of the cherub, okay? All right. So with the mercy seat, that was where the mercy seat was. Now inside, so that was out of view. It was hidden inside the Ark of the Covenant were the pot of manna, Okay, how do you draw a pot? Oh, yeah. Like a 
Koiki. Okay, the pot of mana. There's a pot. Okay, then I'm not a potter. Okay, that's a pot. There was the rod of Aaron that sprouted, and it sprouted leaves. That's leaves, <laughs> and it sprouted buds. And it sprouted ripe almonds. I don't know how to draw an almond with a chalk. Okay. But at this end, it sprouted flowers at the same time. Okay. So that was a sign and wonder. All the, all the people's staffs were, t were put in the tent of meeting. And the next day when they got there, Aaron's rod sprouted. And God gave it to them as a sign and as a warning. And then there was also the two slabs with the Ten Commandments written on it. Okay. But all of this, this, this manna inside the pot was taken. All of these were inside of the Ark of the Covenant. Now, no one was supposed to look in there. If someone would open the lid and look in there, they would die. Okay. Which tells you something about the contents. <laughs> it's the ministry of condemnation and death engraved in letters on stone, according to 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 6. Okay? All right. Okay. So, right, let's keep on reading. Okay, uh, we have a rod of Aaron that sprouted the two stone slabs above the ark and overshadowing the mercy seat with the representation of the cherubim. That's my attempt of drawing it. Winged creatures which were symbols of glory. Now it says, just listen to this. We cannot now go into detail about these things. Okay, just go to Jeremiah chapter 3 quickly. Okay. Everyone knows John 3.16, but you know Jeremiah 3.16. Okay. It says, And it shall be that when you have multiplied and increased in the land in those days, says the Lord, they shall no more say the ark of the covenant of the Lord. It shall not come to mind, nor shall they seriously remember it, nor shall they miss it or revisit it, nor shall it be repaired or made again. For instead of the ark, which represented God's presence, he will show himself to be present throughout the city. So God says, they will no longer speak of the ark of the covenant. Therefore, we cannot now go into detail about these things. All right. There will come a day. Jeremiah prophesied it. There will come a day, he says, we will no longer say the Ark of the Covenant. We will no longer visit it, remember it, mind it. We won't miss it. Because the presence of God that when the blood was, was offered on the mercy seat under the, sh the shadow of the wings, okay, uh, the presence of God was there. And God said to Moses, there I will speak intimately with you. 
But this whole thing was a parable of something greater to come. It's a visible representation of the invisible that was to come. So when the real thing came, the parable is not necessary anymore. Okay? All right. So this was the Holy of Holies, and this was the holy place, and this was the outer court. Okay. And these, this lampstand had to continuously be kept little flames on there with oil that came from beaten olives. Okay, let's keep on reading Hebrews chapter 9. All right, so he says, These arrangements having thus been made, the priests enter habitually into the outer division of the tabernacle in performance of their ritual acts of worship. But into the second division of the tabernacle, none but the high priest goes, and he only once a year, and never without taking a sacrifice of blood with him, which he offers for himself and for the errors and sins of ignorance and thoughtlessness which the people have committed. Okay, so in the old, they would come, the priests would come and do rituals and stuff here. But once a year, the high priest goes in beyond the second veil and he sacrifices blood for his own sins and then for the sins of everyone. Now everyone would wait for the sacrifice to be accepted and if the sacrifice was accepted, everyone rejoiced because their sins would be forgiven for another year. Okay, did they do anything to get their sins forgiven? No, they just stood there waiting for the high priest to do something for them. If that was the case in the ritual, how much more now that we know Jesus is the real high priest after the order of Melchizedek, who went into the true holy of holies with his own blood to secure an everlasting release. When he went in there with his own blood, he paid for the sins of the whole world. But he didn't, this was just the parable. He went into the true holy of holies of heaven. Okay, now how much more shall we now rejoice in the sacrifice that our high priest brought? I mean, we've now for weeks we've been speaking about the high priest. The high priest, this is after the order of Aaron, and this one is after the order of Melchizedek. Melchizedek is high priest forever, according to God's oath, because he lives forever. Because he is holy, he has no day-by-day necessity. He has, doesn't have to, to offer sacrifices for himself. After the order of Aaron, all the priests died. And they had, to be, they had to keep on replacing the priests because they kept on dying. So they could not bring a perfect sacrifice. But this priest was perfectly adapted so that he could perfectly bring a perfect sacrifice that shall avail for all time. Now, if they would rejoice because their sins would be forgiven for another year because of the action of a priest, how much more shall we rejoice knowing that the perfect sacrifice was given at the cross and that he brought his own blood to the true Holy of Holies and he became our mercy seat according to Romans chapter 3. Just quickly go to Romans 
chapter 3. So because of the sacrifice of Jesus, you can rejoice because your sins are forgiven. Your sins are not forgiven because you said sorry. You receive the forgiveness of sin when you, when you say sorry. The basis of your forgiveness is the sacrifice. Okay? And we receive the sacrifice by believing it. Okay? It's amazing. Chapter after chapter, I keep on saying the same stuff over and over. Isn't that amazing? Okay. Romans chapter 3, it says verse 24, I think. Let me just check. Uh, verse 25. Whom God put forward before the eyes of all as a mercy seat and propitiation by his blood, the cleansing and life-giving sacrifice of atonement and reconciliation to be received through faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance he passed over and ignored former sins without punishment. Jesus became your mercy seat. He offered himself on the mercy seat of heaven. All right, so if that is the mercy seat, and if the tables, tablets of stone and the warning of the rod of Aaron that budded, and the bread, he said, your forefathers ate the manna in the wilderness, and yet they died. So all of this goes to, goes to death. Okay, if death is inside this box, if judgment is inside of this box, and the mercy seat is there, uh, I think it's James chapter 3, he says, mercy triumphs over judgment. Alright? So the mercy seat is on top of the judgment, underneath the shadow of the wings, and that this was visible. The judgment was to be kept inside the box, out of view. Alright? It was never God's heart to reveal the fullness of His judgment to mankind. God's heart was to reveal the judgment in the law and then pour it out on Jesus and reveal His grace to mankind. That was God's heart from the, from the start. Okay. Back to Hebrews 9. Okay. Now, verse 8. This is really important. By this, the Holy Spirit points out that the way into the true Holy of Holies is not yet thrown open as long as the former tabernacle remains a recognized institution and is still standing. Okay, so if we can make the cross again like the division there. Now, this is the sacrifice of the, of the cross, Jesus hanging on the cross, and I'm not an artist. Okay, so there's Jesus hanging on the cross. Okay, so this now becomes, the whole thing becomes the former tabernacle okay he says if we keep on recognizing the seen tabernacle as described in the law if we keep on recognizing it the way into the true holy of holies that is in the spirit is not open okay does it make sense okay so he says uh, this one there was a, a tabernacle but it was one of this world. This true holy of holies, not made with hands. It's in the spirit. The way into there is through a door. 
So in John chapter 10, Jesus said, I am the door. Okay. In John chapter 14, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So if you want to enter into the true Holy of Holies, you need to go through the door that is open. If you attempt to go through this way, guess what? You will find that the door is closed. The way into the true Holy of Holies is not open as long as the former tabernacle remains a recognized institution and is still standing. So the moment we turn back to the law to try and achieve our own righteousness, God says, sorry. No presence, nothing. You try to deserve it, you can't pay the price. And also, the price is already paid. It, you, you come too late. Sorry. It's already done. <laughs> okay. So, yeah. Okay, let's go on. Verse 9. Seeing that the first outer portion of the tabernacle was a parable. So I wrote it down up there. A visible symbol or a type or a picture of the present age. In it, gifts and sacrifices are offered and yet are incapable of perfecting the conscience or of cleansing and renewing the inner man of the worshiper. All of these things. External observances. It could maybe cleanse the body for a time. But it could never touch the inner man. Okay. Because it's in the visible realm. So your invisible part needed a better sacrifice to go into a sanctuary that's invisible so that your invisible part can be cleansed by the blood of Christ that's through the sacrifice that is brought in the invisible holy of holies if he didn't bring it in the spirit your spirit man would never have been cleansed okay all right verse 10 for the ceremonies deal only with clean and unclean meats and drinks and different washings, mere external rules and regulations for the body imposed to tide the worshippers over until the time of setting things straight, of reformation of the complete new order, when Christ the Messiah shall establish the reality of what these things foreshadow, a better covenant. Okay, so all these things foreshadowed something. It was to be... Uh, until the time of setting things straight. It wasn't meant to be forever. Oh, yes, but it's an eternal covenant. No, it's not. You'll see now. We'll go to Galatians chapter 3. You, I'll, I'll save it for later. Okay. All right. Until the time of setting things straight of reformation of the complete new order when Christ the Messiah shall establish the reality of what these things foreshadow. This is not new order, what's it mean, Illuminati, it's not what I'm talking about. One government, nonsense. We're talking about Christ and the kingdom of God that's taking over the earth, okay? Which has already been active since the cross. So this is the time of setting things straight. This is the time of the new order where Christ established the reality of what those things foreshadowed. 
Okay. So don't freak out about the new world order and everyone's going to have a chip. And don't. It's okay. Relax. Okay. This is 11. But that appointed time came. So it's done. When Christ the Messiah appeared as a high priest of the better things that have come and are to come. He, through the greater and more perfect, then through the greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with human hands, that is not a part of this material creation. Do you start getting the picture here? Okay. So he came and he did everything that this, this was like a pantomime or a little show. Okay. So this was just, it's like, it's like the children acting out a Christmas play. The Christmas play of the children is not really the, the birth of Jesus. Do you know that? Okay. Okay. Therefore also, this, these rituals are not really the real thing of the sacrifice of, of the atonement. This is just something that showed what really happened in the spirit. But everyone is so focused on this that they can't see the unseen thing. Okay, so he says, the true heavenly sanctuary, the holy of holies, not made with human hands. That is not part of this material creation. Okay, all right. He went once for all into the holy of holies of heaven, not by virtue of blood of goats and calves by which to make reconciliation between God and man, but his own blood, having found and secured a complete redemption, an everlasting release for us. This release, it was only something that washed their bodies for another year that cleansed them, forgave their sins for another year. He said, this one, complete redemption. The word redeemed means when you pay a price and you take something. So when you go to the shop and you buy a bread, you redeem that bread. So you pay a price and you take it home with you. Change of ownership has occurred. Okay? And you take it with you and it doesn't stay in the shop. Okay, you have been redeemed. A price has been paid for you. And you've been taken into custody. You are not your own. All right? You belong to him. Okay. Right. Secured a complete redemption and everlasting release. So it's not only for a time, forever. Verse 13. For if the mere sprinkling of unholy and defiled persons with blood of goats and bulls and with the ashes of a burnt heifer is sufficient for the purification of the body, how much more surely shall the blood of Christ, who by virtue of his eternal spirit, his own pre-existent divine personality, has offered himself as an unblemished sacrifice to God, purify our consciences from dead works and lifeless observances to serve the living God. So here in the parable, when they brought the offering... The, it could cleanse the body for a time. How much more shall the blood of Christ that was um, brought to the true holy of holies of heaven purify the conscience? Because the perfect sacrifice was brought 
to the true heavenly sanctuary, the real thing. Okay? So the blood of Jesus is your answer. The blood of Christ is your answer. The sac uh, uh, earthly sanctuary is not going to help you. Earthly rituals is not going to help you. The blood of Christ cleanses the conscience of the worshiper. Okay. Verse 15. Christ the Messiah is therefore the negotiator and the mediator of an entirely new agreement. Okay, now we start with kind of part B of this whole thing. And this is where I get excited. Okay. New agreement, testament, or covenant, so that those who are called and offered it may receive the fulfillment of the promised everlasting inheritance since a death has taken place which rescues and delivers and redeems them from the transgressions committed under the old agreement. So, here was an agreement. This agreement is called a covenant. And under this covenant, there were transgressions. And you had to do all these rituals to get forgiveness of the transgressions, but they could never really get free. Okay. Now, this is another agreement. But this agreement is a testament. Okay, so the, the word here in the Hebrew is berith, okay, which means a contract or a covenant. And the word here in the Greek is diatheke, which means a last will and testament. Last will and testament. Alright? So, dia means through. Like diagonal. Through the box. Through the thing. Theike is like a box. A box. So, it comes through the grave. So, it's a last will and testament. So, you get the stuff coming through the death of someone you get his things so it comes to you through the grave or through his tomb the things come to you okay so this all of this is based on a promise the testator made a promise in a document saying if I die all my stuff goes to Yanni Okay, so if your name is in the document, then after the person died, you can say, give me the stuff. Because a promise was made, and that promise is activated at death. Okay, so a testament is not valid until the death of the testator. Okay, but we'll, we'll read about it. I'm just excited about this stuff, so I'm running ahead. Okay. So he says, Christ is the negotiator and the mediator of an entirely new agreement, the testament, so that those who are called and offered it 
may receive the fulfillment of the promised everlasting inheritance. Since a death has taken place which rescues and delivers and redeems them from the transgressions committed under the old. So a death has taken place. Here's the death. This death, because it was the atoning sacrifice, the reality of what these things foreshadowed, this rescued us completely, an everlasting release. It rescued us from the transgressions committed under the old. All right. Okay. Where are we? Verse 16. For where there is a last will and testament involved, the death of the one who made it must be established. So Jesus is the one who made it. Okay? So remember in Hebrews chapter 7, um, Melchizedek is Jesus Christ. Remember? So, if you don't believe me, just watch last week. Okay. So, Melchizedek is Jesus Christ. Now, Jesus Christ, in the form of Melchizedek, appeared to Abraham. And he made a promise to Abraham. And then he made, he said to Abraham, I will, I will bless you until all the nations of the earth will be blessed through you. Okay? So, he made a promise to Abraham. Later, he visited Abraham again. And he said, he, the deep sleep came over him. And he said, I will make a covenant with your seed. But first, they must be in bondage for 400 years. Now, the second one, the covenant, cannot make null and void the first visitation, which was a promise. That first promise is the promise that is now today the thing that we get into fulfillment. The second one that was a covenant was this covenant that was made 400 years later at Mount Oreb. That's a mountain. Mount Oreb. Okay, and there was a cloud and there was fire. Okay. All right. The covenant was only made there. When God appeared to Abraham, he said, I will make a covenant with your seed. The covenant only came when Moses came down the mountain. He said, I will make a covenant and the sign of it will be circumcision. And from there on they had circumcision. But the covenant was only brought into effect at Mount Horeb when Moses came brought the tables of stone and the book of the law. It was all written in there. Okay. So we'll look a little bit into that thing in a bit more detail in just a minute. Okay. Now, so we get these two things. Oh, I'm running myself ahead. It's all in Galatians chapter 3. So we'll read Galatians chapter 3. Okay. So he says... Verse 16, for where there is a last will and testament, death of the one who made it must be established. For a will and testament is valid and takes effect only at death, since it has no legal force or legal power as long as the one who made it is alive. So even the old first covenant, God's will was not inaugurated and ratified and put in force without the shedding of blood. For when 
every command of the law had been read out by Moses to all the people, he took the blood of slain calves and goats together with water and scarlet wool and with a bunch of hyssop and sprinkled both the book, the roll of the law and the covenant itself and all the people saying these words. This is the blood that seals the, the agreement, the testament with God, uh, which God commanded me to deliver to you. And in the same way, he sprinkled with blood both the tabernacle and all the sacred vessels and appliances used in divine worship. In fact, un under the law, almost everything is purified by means of blood. And without the shedding of blood, there is neither release from sin and its guilt, nor the remission of the due and merited punishment for sins. Okay. When Moses came down the mountain, Exodus chapter 24... I mean, we've, we've talked about this countless times. Moses came down the mountain, 20, Exodus chapter 24. He said, these are the things that God commands you to do this day. He said it in the hearing of the people. And in one voice, they all said, we will do the things that God commands us this day and we will be obedient. Then he wrote it in the book of the law, and he read everything written in the book of the law in their hearing, and again they said, we will be obedient. In one voice they answered. So that means this is a contract. Moses was the mediator. God is the one party, the Israelites is another party. Okay. God said, okay. This is what I want you to do. They said, yes, we'll do it. Meeting of the minds, contract. So it was sealed with blood. He sprinkled the blood on the book. He sprinkled the blood on everything. All of this was purified by blood. He sprinkled the blood on the people. The covenant was sealed. So the covenant could, the seal of the covenant could not be broken without a proper sacrifice of blood. Do you get it? So in order to get to rescue people from the transgression, transgressions committed under the old, they needed blood. But they needed better blood. <laughs> better blood than the blood of goats and bulls. Blood of goats and bulls was incapable of cleansing the conscience of the worshiper. Okay. Right, so he says here, verse 20... Three, by such means, therefore, it was necessary for the earthly copies of heavenly things to be purified, but the actual heavenly things themselves required far better and nobler sacrifices than these. For Christ has not entered into a sanctuary made with human hands, only a copy or a pattern or a type of the true one, but he has entered into heaven itself, now to appear in the very presence of God on our behalf. Okay. So he went into the true Holy of Holies with, not made with human hands, with his own blood. Perfect blood, which rescues us from the transgressions committed under the old. Okay, so the blood of Jesus is the thing that cleanses us from all the accusation of the old. The blood of Jesus is the sacrifice that, really, that satisfies the, 
requirement of blood of the law completely. So all the wrath that was described in the law came upon Jesus. And with that, it was completely expressed. So that you could take his perfect blood as a sacrifice into the true Holy of Holies and offer it for us. Now to appear in heaven on our behalf in the very presence of God. Okay, verse 25. Nor did he enter into heaven, the heavenly sanctuary, to offer himself regularly again and again as the high priest enters the Holy of Holies every year with blood not his own. Okay. Let me just read the next verse. For then he would often have had to suffer over and over again since the foundation of the world. But as it now is, he has once for all at the consummation and close of the ages appeared to put away and abolish sin by his sacrifice of himself. Okay. He didn't. These guys went every year, over and over again, over and over again, every time they came. Because the sacrifice wasn't perfect. Over and over again, over and over again, over and over again. But Jesus went once. So it worked. Okay, if it worked, then you don't have to do it again. Okay? Right, it's, it's better than Omo. If you, if you wash with Omo, you get dirty again. If you wash with the blood of Christ, you're clean. Okay. All right. Omo Krabiki free advertising. Okay. For then we'd have often have had to suffer over and over again. So Jesus didn't come every couple of years or maybe even every year. Well, it couldn't have been every year because he had to be born and he had to grow up and he had to do everything, you know, three and a half years and then crucified again. He couldn't have done that every now and then. Once for all. Okay, verse 27. And just as it is appointed for all men once to die... And after that, the certain judgment. Even so, it is the Christ having been offered to take upon himself and bear as a burden the sins of many once and once for all. So he took that once death upon himself so that we could die to ourselves. I've been crucified with him. It's not I that live, but Christ lived within me. So now I live by his resurrection life. Okay. And I don't have death to look forward to. I have eternal life to look forward to. Okay. Even so, it is that Christ, having been offered to take upon himself and bear as a burden of sins, the sins of many once and once for all, will appear a second time, not to carry any burden of sin, nor to deal with sin, but to bring to full salvation those who are eagerly, constantly, and patiently waiting for and expecting him. Okay. When Jesus comes again, I'm not saying if, when Jesus comes again. A lot of people are preaching that Jesus has come. No, no, no. When Jesus comes again, he's not going to say anything about sin. He dealt with sin. He did a good job. When he comes again, he's bringing to full salvation all those who believe. That's what he's going to come. He's coming as the Lord of glory, not as Messiah. He already came as Messiah. So the Jews are still waiting for Messiah, and some Pentecostals think that when, the, when he comes again, it's the Jews, Messiah that comes, and our second coming is the same event. You completely missed the point, totally. If you don't recognize why he came the first time, then why worry about him coming again? 
well, let's just see why he came in the first time. That's the one that you should be focusing on. But everyone is just focusing on when he's coming again that we completely missed the whole thing of why he came. So if we don't take this sacrifice, then he's, the, the second coming won't be such a joyful thing. Okay. All right. Galatians chapter 3. Can you believe it? We went through Hebrews 9 so quickly. can't believe it. Like 40 minutes and we threw it. Nico helped me. We had a couple of test runs during the week. Okay. Okay. He helped me by just sitting there. Okay. <laughs> and he was overloaded with word. Okay. All right. Galatians chapter 3 is a series in itself. So I'm not going to do everything, even though I'm really tempted. Okay, but I'm not. I'm just going to start reading from this man. Let's start reading at verse 10. All who depend on the law, who are seeking to be justified by obedience to the law of rituals, are under a curse and doomed to disappointment and destruction, for it is written in the scriptures, Cursed be everyone who does not continue to abide and live and remain by all the precepts and commands written in the book of the law and to practice them. Okay. This one says, or, Deuteronomy 28, if you do all that is written in this book, then you shall be blessed in the city, blessed in the field. Blessed coming in, blessed coming out. Blessed shall be your bread basket and your kneading trial. Blessed shall, be, blessed shall be the fruit of your body. Blessed shall be your flock. And blessed, 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 blessed. And that goes about like to verse 15. Then it says, if you do not abide by all written in this book, then you shall be cursed in the city, cursed in the field. Cursed coming in, cursed going out. Cursed shall be the fruit of your body, the bread basket, your kneading trough. Cursed shall be the, 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 your flock and everything. And it goes on to verse 68, all the curses. More curses than blessings. So everyone who depends on the law are doomed to disappointment and destruction because it said you must abide by all. If you miss one, you break the whole thing. And if you break the whole thing, you need a sacrifice. And sorry, if you don't take this sacrifice, your sacrifice won't work. Okay? And then it also says, and all the sicknesses that's not even written in this book will come to you and cling to you. Okay. So let's just get this cleared up. Sickness is a curse. It's not a blessing and it cannot be from God. Impossible. If sickness is a blessing, then you're calling God, a, you're calling God cursed. If sickness is a blessing from God, then you're making out God to be the devil himself. 
the sickness cannot be a blessing from God. It cannot be from God. It's impossible. It's not in Him. He's, he's not able to give it. Okay. It all came upon Jesus. Before you want to quote the covenant and saying, yeah, God will put sicknesses on you. It said so in the covenant. <clears throat> and the covenant was given by the instrumentality of angels. Okay? It wasn't God's heart. It wasn't God speaking His nature and His truth. Okay. So, um, sickness is not from God. Right. Where were we? Verse 10. Verse 11 says, Now it is evident that no person... Oh, so that includes who? No one. So it's not no person and you. So you're the super duper GTI, you know, twin turbo 16 valve, you know, double exhaust pipe Christian that you can, that you can do it. It says no person will be justified Declared righteous, brought into right standing with God through the law. So if you take the law, no justification. I don't know why people fight for the right to be under a curse. If you want to be under a curse, be under a curse, but I'm blessed. Okay. So. Now. Uh, it's evident that no person is justified through the law, for the scripture says, The man in right standing with God, the just, shall live by and out of faith. And he who through faith is declared righteous in right standing with God shall live. So in the new, you get the word faith. So for all the awesome teachers that's teaching the inclusion and those things that want to say that you don't need faith to be saved and faith is law. Faith is not law. You can just read the next verse. It says, But the law does not rest on faith, does not require faith, has nothing to do with faith. For it itself says, He who does them, the things prescribed by the law, shall live by them, not by faith. Faith counts nothing under the law. You can believe whatever you want in the time of the law. If you don't do the rituals, you're dead. Do you hear? Okay. Verse 13. Christ purchased our freedom, redeeming us from the curse of the law and its condemnation by himself, becoming a curse for us, for it is written in the scriptures, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree who is crucified. He became the curse for us. Okay. Right, so we are blessed with a believing Abraham. We are not blessed because we did this. Okay, so people argue <clears throat> Deuteronomy 28, you know, you get the blessings and then you get the curses. So Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law. Now there's the blessings left. No, he said you must do all. Okay, so the whole thing is a curse. The whole thing is a curse. If you try to do it, if you recognize this part, you're doomed for disappointment. Okay, 
Have you ever felt disappointed? I have. Why was I disappointed? It's because I trusted in myself. And I tried to do something myself instead of relying on the sacrifice that Jesus brought. No disappointment possible when you really trust on the cross of Christ. Okay. All right. To speak in human relations, verse 15, brethren, if even a man makes a last will and testament, a mere human covenant, no one sets it aside or makes it void or adds to it when it has been drawn up and signed. Now the promise were decreed and made to Abraham and his seed, his offspring, his heir. He, God, does not say and seeds as if referring to many persons, but and to your seed, your descendant, obviously referring to one individual who is none other than Christ. Okay, so the promise that God made through Melchizedek was to Abraham and his seed. This seed is not all his physical children. This seed is Christ. Okay? So he is the heir. Verse 17. This is my argument. The law which began 430 years after the covenant, or the word there is the last will and testament, does not and cannot annul the covenant previously established, ratified by God, so as to abolish the promise and to make it void. So let's just draw a timeline. We've got a timeline here. Here's the cross. Okay? So God came, Melchizedek appeared to Abraham and made to him a promise. And this promise he said to your Abraham and his seed, you'll be blessed. There it is. And it has been in effect since then. Because God cannot lie. So he will do it. Then later, God spoke to Abraham. And he said, I will make a promise, uh, a covenant with your seed. And he gave him the sign of circumcision. So there that one goes. And then, 430 years later, comes Moses. Moses. That's now at Mount Horeb, Exodus 24. Here's Moses, and he establishes the covenant that Melchizedek said he will do. So from there to the cross, that covenant was active. And this is called the old. Can you actually see they're so low on the board? Okay. All right. So there's Moses. It started. He said he's going to bring it. 400 years had to pass. So 430 years. So Melchizedek spoke to Abraham. But before that, Melchizedek made a promise to Abraham. And in this time, it's just waiting, waiting, waiting. But since the cross, the law is ended. And that promise, or that last will and testament, 
was made in effect. So this is the old covenant. And this is the testament, the new testament. Does this make sense to anybody? Okay. He started drawing up the last will and testament. He made the promise. He said, I will bless you and all the nations of the earth will be blessed through you. No conditions. He just said, I'm just going to bless you. And Abraham believed and it was accounted to him for righteousness. So because Abraham believed, because there was faith, he got the goods. Okay. Later, he said, I am going to bring a covenant. He established the covenant when Moses came. That covenant was in effect until the seed should come. Let's just read it. It says here, verse 18, uh, For if the inheritance of the promise depends on observing the law as these false teachers would like you to believe, it no longer depends on the promise. However, God gave it to Abraham as a free gift solely by virtue of his promise. Verse 19, What then was the purpose of the law? It was added later on after the promise to disclose and expose to men their guilt because of transgressions and to make men more conscious of the sinfulness of sin. And it was intended to be in effect until the seed should come to and concerning whom the promise had been made. And it, the law, was arranged and ordained and appointed through the instrumentality of angels. Moses and angels. Okay. So, if the law was never brought, Jesus could never pay the price. If Jesus could never pay the price, he could never fulfill the law and redeem us from the curse. Now that he has paid the price and redeemed us from the curse, he is the heir. He, and he is the seed, according to the promise. And this death of the cross simultaneously ended the covenant and kick-started the testament because a death had taken place which enacted the promise that was made before the law was even spoken of. Okay. And this one will endure forever. All right? No end to this one. All right. So, if we look at this, it was to Abraham and his seed. Now, if we look at Romans chapter 8, he says, we are joint heirs with Christ. So if he's an heir, I'm an heir with him. I'm a joint heir with him. Okay. Now, John chapter 1 says, he came unto his own, and his own received him not. Okay. But to as many as received him, gave he power to become sons of God, as many as believed in his name. So the moment you believe, you become a son. Okay. But if you are a son, you are an heir. You are a son because you are in him. And you are born from him. You are an heir because he is the heir and you are inside him. Okay. You are a son because you believe in the sacrifice. If you receive 
That word finds entrance into your heart. You receive the power to become a son. The moment you're a son, you're an heir. Joint heir with Christ. Okay, let's keep on reading. What was the purpose of the law? Verse 19. It was added later after the promise to disclose and expose to men their guilt. So the law, that's what the law will do. It will make you guilty because of transgression and to make men more conscious of the sinfulness of sin. So guess what? Sin consciousness, it will keep you trapped in sin if you read the law. And it was intended to be in effect until the seed should come. So it, the seed came, the law is not in effect anymore. To and concerning whom the promise had been made. And it, the law, was arranged and ordained and appointed through the instrumentality of angels and was given by the hand in the person of a go-between Moses and the interim, uh, intermediary person between God and man. Okay, now verse 20. A go-between and intermediary has to do with, implies more than one party. There can be no mediator with just one person. Yet God is only one person. And he was the sole party in giving that promise to Abraham. Only God decided to do it. Abraham wasn't a party to it. He was just a beneficiary of it. The gospel makes you a beneficiary. You're not a party that makes it valid. You're a beneficiary through the one party who validated it by dying. He made the promise... And he died to, to, in, to activate the promise, the testament. You are the beneficiary. Now, in the law of testament, the law of succession, if someone has a last will and testament, it is drawn up everything, and you have been called an heir in that document, if you are read, you, you must go to the lawyers and sign and receive. You don't go and pay. Uncle Johnny left you his new Mercedes. Okay, now you want to, okay, but how, what must I do to get the Mercedes? Just sign here, sir. No, 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 but I, I want to pay for it. Okay, then what are we supposed to do with the money? It needs to go to the heir because they need to sort out his affairs. He's not there anymore. Do you get what I'm saying? So, so the stuff needs to go somewhere now. He's given it to you. If you don't take it, who's going to take it? So it's, it's so much that it's given to all and everyone can have everything. But your choice is simply to receive it or to reject it. That's your involvement. You either receive what he wants to give you or you reject what he wants to give you. And if you say, I will receive it on my conditions that I fulfill everything that he fulfilled, then you can't have it. Because you have no access to it. Because the way into the true Holy of Holies is not open as long as the former tabernacle remains as a recognized institution and is still standing. So if you believe you are justified by faith, you have access. If you don't, you don't have access. Romans chapter 5 verse 1. Let's just read it so that you can see it. Romans 5 is 1. Therefore, since we are justified, acquitted, declared righteous, and given a right standing with God through faith, let us grasp the fact that we have the peace of reconciliation to hold and enjoy peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the Anointed One. 
So you need to grasp this. You've got peace with God. Okay? You are justified by grace. He loves you. He's got nothing against you. All right? He paid the price for you. Verse 2. Through him also we have our access, our entrance, our introduction by faith into this grace. The state of God's favor in which we firmly and safely stand. And let us rejoice and exult in our hope of experiencing and enjoying the glory of God. Do you want the glory? Receive the grace. <laughs> Receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness. And you will see the glory of God. Okay. Okay. Back to Galatians chapter 3. Well, was was geweest? First one, a go-between has to do with more than one party. Okay, yeah. A go-between and intermediary has to do with and implies more than one party. There can be no mediator with just one person. Yet God is only one person, and he was the sole party in giving that promise to Abraham. But the law was a contract between God and Israel. Do you see now, this is why I read all these things. The law is a contract it's a covenant between God and Israel, two parties. Okay, this one, one party. He decided to bless you, but you can just receive or reject it. All right. It's validity dependent on both. So if at the law, if you don't do your part, sorry, you won't get anything. There's 21. Is the law then contrary and opposed to the promises of God? Of course not. For if a law had been given which could confer spiritual life, then righteousness and right standing with God would certainly have come by law. So if God could legislate you holy, you would. <laughs> but we know even in human legislation that doesn't work, okay? It's like just think of the prohibition of alcohol in, in America in the years back. It just brought a booming bootlegging industry and they just did everything in secret. So the moment you, you, you tell people not to do it, they're going to do it more. They, they did an experiment with children. I don't know who of you heard this, okay? I've, I've mentioned it a couple of times. So they, they had children at play in a garden, and they, they, they took each one of them aside and said, okay, under no circumstances are you allowed to spit on the flowers. So there's flowers in the, in the garden can't spit on the flowers. You can do anything. You can have as much sweets as you want. You can play with anything. You can take anything. You can have as much cake as you want. Anything. But just don't spit on the flowers. So they put the hidden cameras. To the last one of them went and spat on the flowers. Okay? So why did they spit on the flowers? They didn't, who spits on flowers? No one. But the desire was given through the commandment so you can't legislate holiness okay verse 22 <laughs> that's Romans 7 in a nutshell I mean <laughs> this is like <laughs> the law stirs up the forbidden desire okay all right verse 22 but the scriptures picture all mankind as sinners shut up and imprisoned by sin so that the inheritance the blessing which was promised through faith in Jesus Christ, might be given and released, delivered to all those who believe in Him, rely on Him. 
Okay. So the only way you're going to get the promise is by believing in Jesus. Verse 23. Now, before the faith came, we were perpetually guarded under the law. That we that he's referring to is the Jews under the covenant. Okay? We were perpetually guarded under the law, kept in custody in preparation for the faith that was destined to be revealed. So in that time, the faith was not revealed yet. Even though Abraham believed before it was even, but in this time, the faith wasn't revealed. It was a mystery. Okay. So, 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 15, down to this very day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies on the hearts and minds. So the moment you read Moses, faith is put under the veil. And you put in works, and there's nothing for you to believe, you just want to do. Okay. Before the faith came, we were perpetually guarded under the law. Verse 24, so that the law served to us Jews, not the Gentiles, and all of us are Gentiles, as our trainer, our guardian, our guide to Christ, to lead us until Christ came, that we might be justified and put in right relationship with God by and through faith, right standing with God through faith. Okay. Even the Jews were destined to be saved by grace through faith. It's not God's plan that anyone should be under the law. Not even the Jews. Okay, because the law is now over. Romans chapter 10 verse 4. Christ is the end of the law. The limit at which it ceases to be. So if there's no, if, if there's no law, then there's no transgression of it. So everyone feels so guilty and so condemned and so bad. Hey, you're not under the law. There's nothing that condemns you before God. But you need to believe in Jesus. Okay, so the moment you believe, you recognize God, and you are saved by grace through faith. Okay. Verse 25. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a trainer, the guardian of our childhood. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. Do you see there? You're a son. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ, into a spiritual union, communion with Christ, have put on and clothed yourselves with Christ. There is now no distinction, neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is not male and female. You are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you belong to Christ, if you are in him who is Abraham's seed, then you are Abraham's offspring and spiritual heirs according to the promise. If you are in the air, you are an heir. Okay. So the law kept their eyes hidden. They could not see him. The law was the guardian that kept them until Christ came. But they never recognized him. First Corinthians 1, it says, when, it, when by their philosophy they failed to recognize God, it pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. Okay. Right, so the law had a certain purpose. The purpose of the law was to give sin a name and to give sin a punishment so that the punishment could come upon Jesus so that he could be the heir of all things. So that he could fulfill the promise 
and give it to us who believe in him. If the law was never there, he could never pay the price of all sin for us. But now that the law did come, and Jesus fulfilled everything written in the law on the cross, now we received everything as if we fulfilled it like he did. But we, we only receive it freely by putting our trust in him who paid the price for us. And we are receiving it for free. Grace isn't cheap. It cost him his life. It did not come to lower the price, to give you a discount. So a little bit of law and give you a little bit of grace just to help you over it. No, that makes the grace cheap. That makes the price cheap. It's free. The salvation, the forgiveness, the blessings, everything written of him is free. And he paid with his blood. All right? Okay. All right. I think this is a, just a central theme. Whenever the old, the former tabernacle is recognized. Can't see, can't feel, veil eyes on their hearts and minds. Way is not open. But I want to quickly just jump to two scriptures, then I'm done. The one is, I can just mention it. Maybe you can just put it on the, on the thing. Hebrews chapter 4 verse 15. We can come boldly to the throne of grace. So if we can come boldly to the throne of grace, it means the door is open. The veil is torn. We can come. So boldly coming to the throne of grace means we have to ignore this. We have to look away from the law, and we have to look to the door, which is his body. Okay. Thank you, Melifi. Okay. Yeah, Hebrews 4 verse 16. And then Hebrews chapter 10 verse 20, if you can get that, Hebrews chapter 10 verse 20 also. It says, by this, yeah, he initiated, dedicated, opener for us a new living way. By this fresh living way, which he initiated, through the separating curtain, the veil of the Holy of Holies, that is through his flesh. So the door is through the veil, and the veil there is his flesh. You can enter boldly through the power in the blood, through the separating curtain, which is his broken body. Okay. The only way into the fulfillment of the promise. Okay. So you have to receive it by inheritance. Amen. I've got a child on my leg. <laughs>